Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And I am inspired, guys. Listen what we have coming up. He swore an oath to serve and protect his community, and he stepped up when a fellow law enforcement officer needed a transplant. And talk about random acts of kindness. Wait till you hear this story. What an amazing guy. And course we'll be talking a little bit about living donation and just a little bit more about how it works yeah you are going to walk away inspired guaranteed it's the gift of life guarantee right there you go (laughs) coming up right here on this podcast and we want people to hear it because our goal is to save more lives we want you on our team and all you have to do is share it's that simple definitely share you can always find us on apple Podcasts, google play or whatever your favorite podcast app might be and social media savvy peeps we know you're out there on facebook we're donate life louisiana instagram twitter we're at donate life la and we really like hearing from you when you give us a call at 504-648-3477 the hotline the gifted life hotline call it today right uh so much to get to on the gifted life podcast hold on to your hats guys here we go here on the gifted life podcast we always talk about one person making a difference We are going to introduce you to one person who's really making a difference in his community. His name is Deputy Andre Ardenau. Hey, sir. How are y'all? We are good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Is today a slow day for you? Um, It's as slow as I make it. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. We've been reading up on Deputy Ardenau, and we know that your career is in law enforcement, so you swore an oath to serve and to protect, and you do that job above and beyond. So we know that you are here to talk about transplant, but we want to introduce people to you before we got to that. So we want to know why you went into law enforcement. I can tell you the date, time, and place that actually I kind of opened up and made that announcement. I was actually on a full scholarship to the University of New Orleans. Um, I was working on my degree in mechanical engineering. Um, I was getting ready to start my senior year, and it just felt kind of empty. I'm good at math. I was good in calculus, so it kind of made sense to go into an engineering field. Uh, I just, I wasn't feeling that, that complete factor in my life, like I was making a difference. And I was always raised to help others. My dad was a military veteran. My mom's been a nurse for 30 plus years. And uh, helping people's always what, you know, gives me that inner satisfaction. So uh, actually, one of my uncles worked for uh, Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office. And uh, I had asked him when we were at a family gathering, you know, why is it you're always so happy? Why is it you're always, every time I talk to you, you got a, you know, an amazing story to tell. You met this person. It seems like you know everybody. You have so many friends. Just what is it that, you know, you do that just makes this so worthwhile? And he told me, he said, look, he said, every day I go to work, I get to meet different people in different situations. And a lot of times I get to play the role on whether or not it turns into a catastrophic situation or people walk away with a smile on their face. He said, some of them you can't change. Um, you know, I mean, when you're going to uh, family deaths or things of that nature, or it's just a really bad incident, he said, but you can make an impact on these people's lives in just a matter of a few minutes. Like, you know, that sounds really awesome. Sounds like something I'd be interested in. He goes, well, look, he said, you're going to go, you can try it. 
He said, within six months, you're going to know either this was made for you or you're going to go find something else because it's not one or the other. You can't fake your way through this. Mm -hmm. So it was December 30th of 2006. I told my parents on my birthday at Janie Brown's restaurant in Lacombe at about (laughs) 8 o'clock in the evening that I was going to be dropping out of college starting that spring semester. And I would be applying to get on with the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office. I um, explained to him my reasoning behind it. My mom was a little upset. She was kind of excited with the career path I was on prior to, but they were very open to it. And they said, you know, go ahead. So I went and did it. And it was March 22nd, 2007 is when I got hired on and never looked back. I worked at the jail. I've worked uh, on the, well, they consider it a SWAT style team. It's the uh, CRT team, Corrections Emergency Response Team. Mm. So I worked there for a couple of years. I made my way out to patrol. And then uh, about two and a half years ago now, they selected me to special operations. And I've pretty much loved every minute of it. I, I don't look back. It's been more than I could ever ask for. So, so we think that decision that you made on your birthday is kind of paying off. And we know that it paid off for Jason Trish. So let's talk about the donation. Let's talk about this transplant and how you just said, I can help. I need to help. This is amazing. Gotcha. That's a, that's a little bit of a story in and of itself. Right? Actually, uh, <laughs> in September of 2015, actually, we had gone on a cruise. And we go on a cruise with a few other guys that I've worked with in their lives. We do it kind of as a couple of things. It's an adult retreat. You know, mm-hmm. no kids. We go off for a week on a cruise ship, have fun, come back home to the kids and, you know, say la vie. Well, on this one, we had actually found out that one of my good friend's wives, his mother was in full kidney failure. Um, she was on dialysis, and actually his wife had already gone to get tested to see if she was a viable donor, but due to some scar tissue issues from a previous back surgery, she was not going to be a candidate. Um, so actually her husband, which is a good friend of mine, had stepped up, and he was going to get tested to find out whether or not he could do it. Well, while we're on the cruise, they were telling me about it, and it just it, it kind of piqued my interest. It was... This is just an amazing thing. Like, I didn't realize that this was even possible. Um, You know, I frequently donate blood. I have type O blood, which makes it viable for even young children that are, you know, cancer patients. Like, man, this sounds really awesome. I'd I'd love to be able to help somebody that way. So we got back into town. I started looking into it and um, did a lot of research trying to find out, you know, what my lifestyle would be afterwards. You know, I definitely still wanted to be able to coach my kids' baseball teams and go out and play football with them. And, you know, I didn't want to put myself at so much risk that I wouldn't be able to enjoy my life or be there for my own children. But uh, the information I got back was your lifestyle doesn't change much. Uh, With the exception of some medications you can't take, you're pretty much back to normal within, you know, just a couple months. So I started looking into it further and found out that Oshner, which is uh, over there on Jefferson Highway, is ranked, I think, number two as far as being a transplant clinic in the nation. So I was like, wow, we have an amazing clinic right here in our back right. door. Let's, I mean, you'll get tested. So it was actually my anniversary date, March 22nd of 2016. I went and got tested. Um, and when I went and got tested, I found out that me and Jason, well, it wasn't that day. I found out a, about a week later that we were a viable match. Wow. And from the blood work, it looked like, you know, all the different, uh, I'm not even certain what the term is but there's different forms of or things in the blood there's like 13 different variations and we were apparently a legitimate perfect match it was kind of crazy we weren't related so like we need to go through further testing so after three trips to jefferson hospital spending all day there coming home taking a 24-hour uh i had to wear a cardiac monitor they said we're good to go 
So they told us at the end of June, and then we went through with the surgery on July 22nd of 2016. Can you tell us, Andre, a little bit about how you found out about Jason? I, I saw a little bit about your story, but uh, can you fill us in on, on that? Actually, my wife had seen it on Facebook. She, uh, she saw his sister had posted that he needed one. Um, I was actually at work when that incident itself had happened. So I did remember the story rather vividly. Um, I found out who he was, and actually on the, that date I got tested. It was the day before I went to go in to get tested. I had actually located him on Facebook as a private page, so I reached out to him on um, Facebook Messenger and said, hey, you know, is this who I think it is? And he replied and told me who he was. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to go get tested. Let's see if we can get you some help. I love to hear law and enforcement like, oh, man, that, that sounds great. Yeah, you guys tell stories so, differently. It's, it's very matter-of-fact, calm. <laughs> Here's every detail that happened. I love it. Uh, but when you talk about the story and Jason, there was a shootout, right? I'm sorry? I said when you talk about Jason and the story uh, leading up to him needing a, a transplant, he was on the job and there was a, a shootout? Yes, ma'am. Actually, that was in August of 2012. They had, uh, I guess, they considered it a terrorist attack. It was the Sovereign Citizens Group. Um, which are the group of individuals that think that they do not have to abide by the laws of the United States because they come from some previous tribe, and our laws don't apply to them. Hmm. Um, it actually originated off of a traffic stop by another deputy. They ended up getting in a shootout right there. They shot him. From the story I can gather from Jason, he was telling me that whenever they dispatched it to him, they just told him that there was a mysterious subject that looked like a medical issue laying in the middle of the road, and then... Later, they found out that it was a deputy shot. So they ended up going to the trailer park where the vehicle had been sighted going into to try and locate the perpetrators. They went in, they made contact. As they were making contact and exiting out the back door, somebody was hiding in the shadows Mm -hmm. and gunned Mm -hmm. down him and three other guys. Mm The other two didn't live. Jason was the only one that I'm aware of that survived that was actually on the scene at that time. And we saw his story, and he said he was losing quality of life. He just wanted to spend time with his family. So you have this complete stranger, and then what kind of nudged you? Like, what pushed you to say, I can help, let me help? Who does that? It was very personal for me. Um, Honestly, it was, I could put myself in his shoes. We do the same job. Um... So, you know, that there in and of itself, you know, it was like, wow, okay, this could happen to me any day. And if it happened to me, I would hope that somebody would step up and try and somewhat help me in any way, shape, or form. Um, the other thing that hit me was just meant the kid factor. Um, you know, one of the best things that I can do, my favorite thing to do is go out and play with my kids, whether it's football, baseball, reading books. I mean, just spending time with them is just it's the highlight of my life. Well, he didn't have that anymore. He couldn't go outside and play with his kid. He was on immunosuppressants and blood thinners because of dialysis. So he was essentially imprisoned in his house. And I'm like, wow, as a father, that would just, that would eat me up inside. And if I can go and I can give this guy the opportunity to have a better quality of life, let's do it. So uh, it was very personal. And I just, I could really relate to his situation. Um, Not because I'd been in it, but just because I understand that that could be me one day. And I had the opportunity to help, and I just felt that, you know, it was my obligation as a human being to try and give this man what he needed to fight. And you know what, Andre? You are truly the epitome of a giving individual. I mean, you are just so impressive with your realism and wanting to help others. It it is really a pleasure to talk with you. Well, it's just, like I said, it's the way that I was raised. You know, we're always taught, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, et cetera, and 
You know, every time that we could have the opportunity to help somebody, it's not an opportunity to pass up. I mean, if you have the means to help somebody, then why not help them? It seemed as though there wasn't going to be a difference in the quality of life on your standpoint. You weren't going to have any different uh, challenges. So how's that been for you since that time? Uh, From the date of surgery to coming back to work full duty, I was out of work for seven weeks. And that was full duty, back to work as if nothing happened. How are you feeling? I feel wonderful. Um, nothing's really changed since. Um, you know, obviously I have to get my endurance back up with the gym, uh, because, you know, I had to stay away from that for a little bit. Who doesn't? Okay. But past that, there were no complications or anything of that nature. And, uh, I mean, I feel good as a fiddle and back to life is normal. I had the pleasure of meeting you, Andre. I don't know if you remember, but you received an award, (laughs) Deputy of the Year for the state of Louisiana because of all of these stories that we heard today, because you're just an incredible human with a servant's heart. Um, but what I loved is that they called you up to the front of the room to accept your award, and you were so humble. Like, n- not everybody is doing what I'm doing. <laughs> like, it, it was just incredible because you just see life in, in a different way, and it's refreshing. Well, to give you a little quick factor on that one, um, what a lot of people don't take into consideration is I work with an absolutely outstanding group of people. Um, I mean, when I tell you these guys would throw themselves in front of a train to save a stranger, they absolutely would. Every one of us, you know, we deal with some differing situations, but we always have each other's back and we always know we can rely on one another. And when you when you're working around a group of individuals like that that are constantly trying to make each other better, you know, just the sky is absolutely the limit. Uh, I don't think many agencies can say it, but you know, the guy that I was speaking about earlier, one of my really good friends actually went through with the transplant uh, about 2 months ago now. And there was actually another individual who I was able to speak with before I went through my surgery because I was a little nervous that actually donated a kidney to another individual back in 2013, I want to say. So just within our agency, which is roughly about 700 people, we have three people that have all gone through a living donation. Wow, that's phenomenal. I feel like we all in this room should be doing more, like listening to to Deputy Andre Ardno. We salute you, sir. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for inspiring us to go out and do something that we don't normally do to help make life happen. You don't get anything financially out of it, but, you know, I've been able to watch Jason leave the hospital. I've been able to watch him no longer wear a mask. Um, you know, now he is in jiu-jitsu with his son. He's uh-huh. coaching his Little League team. He's actually back at work as of April the 19th. For the first time in five years, he got to go back to work. Um, he's in the gym. He is, he is just the picture of health right now. So uh, just to see and know that I was able to contribute to that is just... That's great. It's a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, we joke about it. For Christmas, I bought him a shirt because he is a Tennessee volunteer friend. <laughs> so I went and had him a custom shirt made that said, uh, I bleed I bleed orange for Tennessee. However, I pee purple and gold. <laughs> a little picture of a kidney on it. great. Because no matter what, one part of him is always going to be an <laughs> that we go back and forth and joke about. I love it. And we actually named the kidney. His name is Mr. Bean. (laughs) Every now and then we text back and forth and we ask him, hey, how's Mr. Bean doing? It's just a little kind of inside joke between the two of us, but it's all fun and games. Incredible story about shedding the light on living donation. Thanks for what you do and continuing to protect our communities. We appreciate you. It is absolutely my pleasure, I can assure you. Last segment, incredible guy, incredible story, talking about living donation. And Joey, you actually teamed with Shalon, one of our producers here on The Gifted Life, to learn more about living donation. 
Yeah, Lori, uh, we were able to speak to Amy Ronenberg, who's a transplant social worker out of Oshner, to learn about living donation uh, a little more in depth. And and Sally, you know Amy uh, from, do, from yeah. working with her. We've worked together. Yeah, we've worked together. Oh my gosh, I want to say 15, 16 years. Amy has really been instrumental in helping us on our end of family services connect folks with one another, you know, send correspondence back and forth. Uh, she's been a great, great person to work with. Awesome. Let's listen and learn. More than 118,000 people are waiting on a life-saving organ transplant in the United States, and 82% of those waiting are waiting on a kidney. And so the living donor option for these and other patients are great for those who would otherwise wait for a long length of time for that much-needed organ. Yes, Shalon. So today, of course, we've got an expert, Amy Ronenberg, who is a social worker at Oshner, and she often helps facilitate uh, living donation there at Oshner. So welcome aboard, Amy. Glad to have you in studio. Thank you, Joey and Shalon. Good to be here. So I guess my first question is uh, if someone wanted to donate a kidney or even part of their liver, you know, from a living standpoint, from an altruistic standpoint. They don't really know anyone, but they say, look, I'm on the donor registry, but I want to do something now. How do they go about beginning that process of being able to donate to someone else? To start that process, that person that would like to make a donation, they would first need to contact the transplant center uh, possibly nearest to them or a transplant center they may be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, where they live, and that transplant center will have a living donor coordinator um, for each organ system, for kidney, for liver. That's how they could get the process started by speaking to that living donor nurse coordinator Um, because they first would have to get, of course, uh, a standard blood test, fill out some health questionnaires to ensure that they would be um, a good medical donor. And, of course, then meeting with uh, other of the transplant team professionals, the, the hepatologist or nephrologist, the social worker, uh, the living donor coordinator um, to find out why do they want to donate and what are their reasons for donation, um, even if they don't know someone, and making sure they're a good candidate for donation. How long is that process from the time they talk to that living donor coordinator until they finally could possibly be that match and actually donate? The time frame can vary, um, I think, with the organ system as well, whether it's uh, kidney uh, donor transplant or uh, liver donor transplant, um, and as far as just the time frame of getting the testing done um, and the processes of getting the testing done. So it could be a few weeks to several months, um, just depending on the complexity of the case, a match, who is the correct match for that, uh, for the donor and the recipient. So it just really depends um, on the donor and the recipient. And so is it often a relative of that recipient who is a match? Sometimes it is a relative, whether it's a living relative, living related relative, a mm-hmm. sibling, mm-hmm. Um, a mother, a father, or a child. It could also be a living unrelated donor, meaning there's um, a, a husband or a wife. 
Okay. Yes, they're related, but they're not related by blood. Right, um, right. Or it also could be a friend, um, mm-hmm. a church member, uh, a brother or a sister-in-law. And we think of that, that of course, as related, but to actually it's uh, considered living unrelated. So really anyone who may know or not know uh, the potential kidney transplant recipient could be a potential donor. I would assume the majority of the time these living donations happen either with a, a living related or I can't remember exactly how you said a living unrelated. Yes, yes, living unrelated donor. Most of the time that is the way. Um, it's somebody they know. It right. is someone that they know. Right. Now there are some chances that they may know of that their donor, but they may not personally know their donor. It could be a friend of a family member who hears about the situation um, that this person needs a kidney transplant and they want to get worked up to see if they could be a possible donor because they see what their friend uh, is going through Mm -hmm. with their family member needing a a kidney transplant and their friend may not be a, a, a donor, so they want to get worked up and become a donor. Do the majority of the people that want to donate become donors or are there things, you know, that, now, that inhibit? Yeah, this? not everyone is a candidate to become a donor. Um, they may not be, the blood type may not match. Um, then it with the blood type, uh, the direct HLA matching, the, may, the antigen yeah. matching may not be right. Um, but if you start with, is the blood type correct? Is the HLA antigen matching correct? Then you move on to other medical reasons, checking out, making sure that um, medically you are a good uh, donor. And because we don't want to put our uh, living donors' health at risk. Right. We want to make sure our living donors' health is going to be taken care of, too, after they donate. Now, that is a risk. Anything can happen after donation, um, but we want to ensure that their kidney that will be left will be working, can work well, that there's no hypertension or diabetes or other medical reasons that would prohibit them from becoming um, a living donor. So they have to go through that health screening with their nephrologist or in in the liver case with the hepatologist. Um, And then that's part of it. And then there's also the psychosocial uh, assessment part of it where Mm -hmm. Our social workers on our teams come in and we will do a psychosocial assessment with the potential donor, um, ensuring why do they want to do this donation, um, ensuring that they know uh, the risk and benefits of the kidney transplant working or maybe not working, and that that could be a risk. Um, And then, of course, we also get involved our living donor coordinators they would be involved in that process, too, of making sure that this was something that the potential uh, kidney donor or liver donor wasn't being uh, coerced or forced into. And this is something that they were doing of their own accord. Is there a cost if I wanted to go and donate, you know, to someone there at Oshner or any of the transplant centers, uh, for that matter, is there a cost to the donor uh, once they say, yes, I want to donate? Good question. No, there is not a cost to the donor. The cost is actually picked up. Well, first, the potential recipient's insurance would have to cover living kidney donation or living liver donation. So there is no cost 
to the uh, donor. It's all on the recipient's insurance. It's covered by and that. And that includes aftercare, I assume, as well. Right, related to the donation. CMS or Medicare, Medicaid, picks up the majority of these expenses, specifically for kidneys, because if someone's on dialysis, has end-stage renal disease, CMS and Medicare, Medicaid is incurring that cost. And the cost of someone on dialysis for a length of time is so much higher, such a significant difference uh, that it would behoove that person to get a living donor or find a living donor because it's, it's a much less cost all the way around. Um, most insurances will also cover uh, donation, kidney donation. But, you know, you would have to check with your specific insurance carrier. Actually, that is something that the transplant center would do at the time that the patient gets referred for uh, kidney transplantation workup. The financial coordinators would check and see, make sure that they had coverage for uh, kidney donation or living kidney donation. Well, Amy, you mentioning, you know, the financial coordinator that, that I didn't even think about that part. That seems like quite a bit of people you know, involved in on one case? Yes, we have a very large multidisciplinary team, um, starting with, of course, the transplant surgeons, uh, the nephrologists, hepatologists, uh, social workers, nurse coordinators, pharmacy, um, dietitian, the financial coordinators, the living donor coordinators, and of course, all the support staff as well. Right. We don't want to leave the support staff out, but it's a large group that you're working with. Um, although you are typically assigned to a specific nurse coordinator, depending where you are, whether you're going through the transplant evaluation process or you're actually listed for and on the waiting list for transplant. It's a beautiful thing. We talk about the power of one all the time here, you know, in, in making that impact in donation and saving lives. And, and you guys have such a large force that's putting all their efforts into that, making that one life happen, making that one surgery and saving that one life. And that's, you know, that's a, a beautiful thing. It takes a, a large group to work together, but that's why we're um, getting patients transplanted through living donation and uh, through all types of donations. So. And so, Amy, what happens if you have a donor who has gone through all the testing, who has done all the, the prep work, but they are not a match for that person they wanted to donate to. What happens then? Because you have somebody who's willing to save a life. When that does happen, when we have someone who is a, a good kidney donor, but they're not a match to the recipient that they intended to donate to, but they're still interested in donation, we do, um, now there's called paired kidney donor matching. Mm -hmm. um, so you would have a donor who would be a match to a different recipient, mm -hmm. and then their potential donor may not be a match to them or would be a better match to another recipient, and then they, they switch. So you would have four surgeries going on at once, wow. potentially, because you would have two donor surgeries and two recipient surgeries uh, could be going on at the same time. And so at that point, we're talking about multiple transplant centers coordinating with each other to get this gift of life yeah. placed. Yeah, so more, more lives can be saved. More recipients are able to get off of uh, 
kidney transplantation and off of the, the kidney transplant waiting list. Well, I mean, that's such an interesting concept. It's kind of like blood donation in that if you want to donate to someone uh, who just had a, a major accident, you know, it ends up going oftentimes not to that person. Sometimes it does, but oftentimes goes into pool where then someone else's blood then goes to that person. So it's, it's a, I guess, kind of a concept that was taken from blood donation. Of course, it's in its infancy, you know, even at, at Oster and in, in the local transplant centers. But it's certainly something that we see as one of the major uh, improvements uh, from a process standpoint that will save more and more lives in the years to come. Absolutely. And so, Amy, we really cannot give enough thanks to you for coming here and joining us and talking about living donation and explaining the process for our listeners and giving us more information. Is there a place, you know, where we could send our listeners if they're interested and if they're in the Louisiana area on Oshner's website that we could oh, tell yes, them? Oh, yes, definitely. They should um, look up uh, Uh kidney transplantation, kidney donation, um, to find out more information, and as well as to uh, get the contact information for the kidney donor coordinator. And she could take, uh, take their calls if they're interested in kidney donation. And so if you're outside Louisiana, we encourage you to visit Donate Life America's website at donatelife.net. They have a living donation page where you can find out more information and get more facts. Um, and we encourage you, if you're interested in living donation, reach out, get informed, and get educated. As in every podcast, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Fred Hart, and we learn about Fred from his wife. Fred was a strong and loving husband, father, and mentor, always ready to tell a joke about something. We met at 17 years of age. He told me that on our second date, I would be his wife someday. Married for 21 years, he adored our two daughters and son. Fred trained our 11-year-old son in basketball and football and he was a volunteer coach at the neighborhood parks. To the community kids, he was so much more than a coach. Despite being on dialysis since 2008, he would work extra hours at his part-time job to buy for the children he mentored. No amount of pain would stop Fred from showing up at work, being on the sideline all across the country for his son, picking up loads of kids who didn't have transportation, feeding the hungry, or lending a helping hand to anyone in need. Fred was hopeful that one day he would receive a kidney. He shared with me upon exiting Tulane Hospital at 1 a.m. six months before he passed that he would not last long enough to wait for another possible donor call as his body was getting weaker. However, he never gave up and set out to spend more time with his family, coached at an additional park to reach more kids and continued to keep everyone who came into contact with him full of laughter with his jokes. Fred was always doing whatever he could to help someone else live better through his mantra, I'm God's child. His final act was that of a sight giver. And now we pause to say thank you to Fred for the gift of sight. In our question, 
question and answer segment today. Joe, I'm going to throw this one to your court. I saw that there was a little boy in need of a donor near New Orleans. How do I find out if I'm a match? Can my blood be kept on file for potential matches in the future? That's a great question and one that Amy and I kind of touched on earlier. You would first have to find out which transplant center uh, that he or she is listed. And then they would test your blood. They would check for uh, what blood type you are. Of course, size and all that plays a factor. Uh, and then, for, especially for uh, kidneys, they'll, they'll test your antigens uh, just a little closer cross-match. Now, as far as the future, what they do, since they, they, can, they test your blood for the uh, blood type and the antigens, so in the situation, if you wouldn't be a match, uh, and, and as far as holding your blood for the future, they wouldn't necessarily need that because they've already done the typing, the initial typing, and they can do what's called a virtual cross-match. And, and tell with, with almost certainty that you would be a good match for someone who would be a potential matchup with you in the future. So it's not necessarily that they would be keeping your blood, but they've got enough of the information to where they could still match you up in the future. There you have it. We like that you're thinking about this. We're having these positive conversations about donation. Maybe you have a question? Info at lopa.org. Or you can give us a call. 504-648-3477. What a power-packed episode here on The Gifted Life. We do have to thank Deputy Andre Ardno, from mechanical engineer to law enforcement officer to living donor to all-around do-gooder, right? My goodness. Oh, my. I, I, you know, altruism certainly would describe what he has done to help others fantastic individual. And he's yeah. not done yet, I assume, yeah. right? And we also thank Amy Ronenberg for giving us some insight on the ins and outs about living donation and just what it takes to become one. Great episode here on The Gifted Life, and hopefully we inspired you to register. Registerme.org is where you can say yes to organ, eye, and tissue donation. And we do hope that you go out today and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. You can do it. <laughs> This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Caraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 